I can't, I can't have songs going on without, without singing, but now we can do it. And, and actually, what I understand is we can have someone up at the pulpit preaching without a mask and without plexiglass. So next Sabbath, we're going to make some adjustments. We still, if you're up here singing, uh, you still have to use a mask, so we'll still have some screens here for our singers. It's a funny, they're, they're funny rules, but we're trying to be safe. We're trying to be respectful and careful. And so uh, we're going to do all we can to make you feel comfortable, to have you safe here worshiping, and, uh, but to move ahead with God's goodness, huh? Proclaiming his love for us and care for us as, as his followers and his love for the world through Jesus Christ. Let's pause for a minute and ask for God's blessing as we study his word. Thank you, Lord, for the time we can be together and study and look at your word for us. You've given us these stories, these lessons from your word that are reminders, that are lessons of life for us upon whom, like the Bible says, the end of the age has come. So we pray that you would guide and direct us. Send your Holy Spirit. Speak to our hearts. Give us open minds. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So a few years ago, our family was vacationing in Montana's Glacier National Park. You've probably been there before. And one of our favorite enjoyments was the awe-inspiring going to the Sun Highway. Every turn, if you've been there, you know is breathtaking. From one switchback to the next, my mind keeps saying it can't get any better. It can't get any better, but it does with every turn and with every switchback. And as you ascend and periodically pull off at the lookouts and look back, you can see where you've come from and where you're going a bit. And then when you pull back onto the highway, you can only see a few hundred yards sometimes. You can't see much at all. And isn't it the case, as Dennis said in his story, isn't it the case that occasionally we, we reach points in our journey when we look back like Dennis can today and see the distinct pattern of God's work in our life? Maybe we couldn't see it immediately. Maybe we didn't notice it before. But looking back from a, a vantage point, we can see the events in our life in some places that sometimes comes into sharper focus for us and, and begin to make sense for us. The puzzling twists, the puzzling turns come together sort of like interlocking pieces of a puzzle. Joseph reached this aha moment in his life when he recognized these 10 men kneeling before him on the ground were his own brothers. That was a startling aha moment. You know, we're on a journey here this year, 2021, and we're marching through the great stories of God's Word. Amazing stories. The greatest stories ever lived. And I'm grateful to Pastor John for his exposition of the first 30 years of Joseph's life, which took him just under 30 minutes. And I'm going to cover the last couple years, and that'll take me longer than 30 minutes. Sorry about that. But, but, um, 
This is Joseph's big picture moment. And it came in year 37 for him. Year 37. It had been 20 years since he'd seen his family. 20 years. 20 years since his brothers had stripped that coat from his back and sold him to Midianite slave traders who then sold him to Potiphar, the Egypt captain of the Egyptian guard. And it had been 10 years, 10 years since being falsely accused by Mrs. Potiphar and sent unjustly to prison. Forgotten there, three years, Joseph is finally remembered by Pharaoh's cupbearer, as the scripture says. And when it happens when Pharaoh is troubled because he has a, a dramatic dream, two ominous dreams, actually. This is the third dream that's recorded, the third set of dreams recorded in this, this story. And he sees, as you recall, seven healthy cows that are completely consumed and swallowed up by t- seven, did I say ten? Seven cows swallowed up by seven gaunt, ugly cows, and they don't look any better for their eating. And then he sees seven healthy, full grains of wheat that are again swallowed up by seven thin stalks. And Pharaoh's chief attendant remembers when he hears this, and they can't find anyone to interpret. He remembers that there's a young Hebrew in the prison where he was. And he had perfect interpretation of dreams. And so Joseph is, in a moment, brought up, cleaned up, listens to, and interprets Pharaoh's dreams. And then, not only does he interpret them, but he takes the initiative to advise him about what measures should be taken to manage the impending doom and crisis. Three times, Joseph declares God's sovereign power, God's sovereign leadership as he speaks to Pharaoh. He says, Genesis chapter 41, verse 25, God has revealed to Pharaoh what he's about to do. Three times he says it. And Pharaoh recognizes that God has given him the dream. He doesn't know God at this point, but he knows that some sovereign being has told him about it, and then Joseph has been able to interpret the dream, and he's given a plan. So Joseph must be the one to implement it. Genesis 41, 39, and 40 says, Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has made this all known to you, there is no one so discerning and wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace, and all my people are to submit to your orders. Only with, with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. All of a sudden, Joseph is catapulted to a place of power and prominence in the strongest nation in the world with a signet ring on his hand, with a robe and chariot to, to carry him, and, and a royal marriage to boot. <laughs> Joseph has gained all the trappings and perks of the prominent unrivaled political power, sweeping financial authority, and untold social prestige. Joseph's sudden change of fortune doesn't change his outlook, however. 
Because through these trials that he's had, through the setbacks, through the heartache that Joseph has experienced, as John, Pastor John talked about last week, Joseph has grown, grown in his relationship with God. And he knew God was with him. God was with him. Hated and betrayed by his brothers, the Lord was with him. That's what it says, Genesis 39, verse 2. Serving Potiphar's home for 10 years, he knew. It says, Genesis 39, verse 3, the Lord was with him. Forgotten in prison for three years, three long, hard years, Joseph knew, Genesis 39, verse 21, the Lord was with him. The Lord was with him through it all, through injustice, through intrigue, through oppression, through abandonment, through mistreatment, through physical pain, through wrongdoing. God was with Joseph. He was with Joseph. At times I'm certain, I'm certain that Joseph didn't feel too blessed by God. He didn't feel too cared by God, but he knew even in those times God was there. God was with him. And Joseph believed that. He believed it. And he trusted his life to this one that he could give his life and care to. Joseph believed God. Our circumstances may have not been the best barometer, you know, for measuring God's blessings. But God is with us. God is with us to bless us even when our situation seems darkest. Joni Erickson Tata, you know who she is. Uh, in her book called When God Weeps, she shares about how she questioned God for allowing her to be forever paralyzed. She says this in her book, my questions created a paradox. In the midst of God's absence, I felt his presence. I found him after I let go of what I thought he should be. Look at that again. I found him after I let go of what I thought he should be. My despair ended up being my ally because through it, he took hold of me. Can you say amen to that? Isn't that true? That's the way it is for you and me. That's the way it was for Joseph. When all those pressures come, came to him from his painful circumstances, those pressures pulled him closer to God. That's what happened. It was a choice. It was a choice that he made to believe God, to believe God's word, to believe God's leading and his influence. Like the prophet Isaiah says in Isaiah 55 and verse number 8 and 9, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. You know, there's a vast difference between my time and my thoughts and God's thoughts and his time. There's a vast difference. His ways are not my ways. His ways are not your ways. <coughs> they are higher. 
They're deeper. They're more profound. They're more mysterious. They're more surprising. Check this out. Check this out. Joseph found his brothers. Uh, Sorry, sorry. Just check. This is an interesting thing. Joseph found his brothers and was thrown into a pit and he was threatened with death and sold as a slave near a place called, do you remember what the name of the place was? Dothan. Now does that name, that town, that place ring a bell for you? Dothan. Dothan. Hmm. Where was the place God was when Joseph was sold into a pit? Where was the place God was? God was in the same place that he was when Elisha and his servant were surrounded by an army of horses and chariots. And they thought, what are we going to do? Remember that story? Elisha and his servants in Dothan. Elisha and his servants woke up to the sound of these, this army surrounding them a powerful army surrounding them, and the servant cries out, O Lord, Genesis, I mean, Second uh, Kings 6.15, O Lord, my Lord, what shall we do? Remember what Elisha says? He says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. What do you mean? <laughs> what do you mean, Elisha? And then, and then, remember? Elisha prays, Open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. 2 Kings 6, verse 17. And the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Where was God at Dothan? Where was God at Dothan? When Joseph was betrayed and sold by his brothers, where was God at Dothan? Where was God when he was in the dungeon? Where was God? Where was God? Where is God when you're challenged? When you're overwhelmed? When you're hurt with pain? Where's God? When you're threatened with a disastrous diagnosis? Where's God? Does his silence mean his absence? We don't need to wonder. We don't need to wonder. Just like for Joseph. Genesis chapter 39, verse 2. The Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph. And that's where God was. He was with Joseph. He was with Joseph. And using all these things, amazing. The betrayal by his brothers. The slavery in Egypt. The unjust prison confinement. Using those times to grow him. To strengthen him to work through him, to mature him, to be and to do what could be and be done in no other way. That's why. Alexander Solzhenitsyn, you've heard the name, one of the most famous dissidents of the former Soviet Union, was a powerful voice for Christ. Powerful voice for Christ. And he spoke about the spiritual awakening that he experienced during his imprisonment in the Soviet gulag. In his loneliness and pain, in that experience, in that Soviet prison, 
God came near to him. And this is what he wrote. This is what he said. In the intoxication of youthful successes, I had felt myself to be infallible, and I was therefore cruel. In the surfeit of power, I was a murderer and oppressor. In my most evil moments, I was convinced that I was doing good, and I was well supplied with systematic arguments. Stop right there. Think of that. What's he saying? What's he saying? Next. And it was only when I lay there on a rotting prison straw that I sensed within myself the first stirrings of good only on rotting straw. Gradually it was disclosed to me that the line separating good and evil, get this, the line separating good and evil passes not through states, not between classes, not between political parties either, but right through every human heart and through all human hearts. So, bless you, prison, for having been in my life. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? Solzhenitsyn spending eight years in this horrible place, eight years abandoned in the Soviet gulag camp system. He sounds to me sort of like the psalmist who said in Psalm number 11971, it was good for me to be afflicted that I may learn your decrees. Oh, have mercy. Have mercy, oh Lord. Ultimately, that's what Joseph said. Ultimately, that's what he said. Ultimately, he said, bless you, betrayal. Bless you, injustice. Bless you, slavery. Bless you, prison. Bless you, hardship. Bless you, abandonment. Because that's when God became real. How do I know? How do I know that to be the case? I'm not just making this up. How do I know? Two matter-of-fact verses that we so quickly just go over but, and can be so easily overlooked, but they give us a rare insight into Joseph's soul and heart. During those seven years of abundance in Egypt, and while Joseph was busy storing those bumper crops that were coming into the, the, the harvest and under careful management being stored away, Two sons were born to Joseph. Two sons. And the naming of both of those sons tells us a great deal about what was going on in Joseph's heart. Look at these verses. Genesis 41, verse 50. Before the years of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph by Asneth, daughter of Potiphar, priest of On. Joseph named his firstborn Manasseh. And he said... It is because God has made me forget all my trouble and my father's household. Manasseh. Manasseh means making forget. Making forget. You see, God has grown in Joseph in such a way, in such a manner, that the pains of his past, the deep hurts at the hands of even his own brothers have been forgotten. Well, did he really forget? Did he really forget father and family? Of course not. 
He didn't forget father and family. Did he forget? Did he forget how his brothers hated him? Did he forget how his brothers treated him? Did he forget how they stripped him of his robe and brutally throw, threw him in the pit? Did he forget? No, he didn't forget. Did he forget about them bartering for his future? Did he forget about them selling him into slavery? Did he forget about the dehumanizing Egyptian slavery, standing on that block and having traitors barter for his soul? Did he forget about that, that he was sold to the highest bidder? Did he forget about that? Did he forget about the rough treatment by the prison guards? Did he forget about those three long years of imprisonment? Joseph never forgot. He never forgot these painful, humiliating events. How could he? How could he? The details of these things were etched in his very mind. God hadn't wiped those away. God hadn't canceled them from his experience. But Joseph chose not to dwell on these painful memories. <laughs> Joseph chose to believe in the God who was with him through those events, and it changed everything. It changed his life. Joseph chose to believe that God's hand was good no matter what was happening in his life and that God could, that God would use those trials, use those hardships, use those painful disappointments somehow, in some way, to make something good eventually. He didn't know when, but he thought he could. And then when Joseph's second son was born... He chose another name that focused on what God was accomplishing, not just forgetting the past, but what God was doing. And it says in Genesis 41, 52, the second son he named Ephraim, and he said, it is because God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. Fruitful. Hmm. Joseph hadn't forgotten what he suffered in Egypt, but now he was rejoicing at what God was doing in his life. He could see it. God was removing the pain from those agonizing memories and creating fruitfulness in him. And not just for him, but for a whole country, for a whole people, and bringing healing and even joy into Joseph's life. And here's the light. Here's the light that shines from this moving story. And here's the light that shines from this story and shines into your life, shines into my life. The heart of the Heavenly Father is beating in every one of your life experiences. Will you believe it? Will you believe it? The hand of the all-wise God is working for each of us in some God-ordained way, for some God-ordained outcome, in some divine plan. God is working The hour of full revealing may not have struck on the clock of God for you, but it will strike. It will strike. Your times, your life are in His benevolent, loving, and gracious hands. Do you believe it, church? Do you believe it? All things, even now, are working together 
for your good. Paul said that, didn't he? Paul said that. God wants to bring the same kind of healing to your soul as the healing he brought to Joseph's soul. He longs to transform your pain that comes from your bad memories and make them into something incredible. Just like Jesus says in these words, Matthew 11, verse 28, Come to me, all you who are tired from carrying heavy loads, and I will give you rest. No, he doesn't promise a quick fix solution. (laughs) Maybe, but likely not. Our answers that will alleviate our struggle may not come very quick. We may not know, but he offers himself and he offers to us and he says to you and to me, through it all, I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm there. He cares for you. He cares for me with all his heart. With all his heart. And I know that because the cross proves it. Jesus on the cross proves his care. Well, seven years of abundance have passed and there comes a famine so severe that the entire region, the then known world of affairs, is faced with starvation. Genesis chapter 41, verse 57. And the world came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph. You get that? All the world came. Because the famine was severe everywhere. And Jacob sent his ten sons, ten brothers, to buy grain from Egypt. Now you think about it. (laughs) Think about it. If anyone had the opportunity to retaliate, if anybody had the chance to get even with vengeance, it was Joseph, huh? It was Joseph. Think of it. When his brothers arrived, that seems to be what Joseph is up to. Actually, when you read it, he's getting back. Look at these words. Genesis 42, 9 and on. says, you are spies. You've come to see whether our land is unprotected. No, my Lord, they answered. <clears throat> your servants have come to buy food. We're all sons of one man. Your servants are honest men. Honest men? Boy, that's stretching it. Not spies. Not spies, No. No, he said to them, you have come to see where our land is unprotected. But they replied, your servants were 12 brothers, the son of one man, there's a bit of truth, who lives in the land of Canaan. The youngest is now with our father, and one is no more. Joseph said to them, It's just as I told you. You're spies, and this is how you'll be tested. As surely as Pharaoh lives, you'll not leave this place until your youngest brother comes here. Send one of your numbers and get your brother. The rest of you will be kept in prison so that your your words may be tested to see if you're telling the truth. If you're not, then as surely as Pharaoh lives, you're spies, and he put them all into prison custody for three days. Take that. (laughs) Take that. You scoundrels. <laughs> Joseph is rough with them. Joseph is cold-hearted with them. He accuses them of crimes that they know they haven't committed. He calls them liars. He throws them into prison. And our reaction might be, wow, Joseph is really has a, a, 
a calculating revenge going on here. He's getting even with his brothers for what they've done to him. Imagine Joseph's emotions. Imagine what's coming, those deep feelings coming from those old wounds that are surfacing now as he sees his brothers in front of him. Forgiveness suddenly is more difficult. It's more personal. Corey Ten Boom, thrown in the German concentration camp for protecting Jews from arrest and deportation during the Second World War. You know Corey Ten Boom. She tells about a time when she met one of the cruelest guards that ever served at the Nazi concentration camp where she and her sister were and where her sister Betsy died. She met this man. She had just finished a sermon in a church in Munich on how God forgives freely and completely. And here comes walking up to her this man. She recognized him. Now she was face to face with one of the worst of her captors. The worst. And her blood just seemed to freeze just seemed to freeze. She had just finished speaking so casually about forgiveness, about God's grace, about God's compassion. Now she was confronted with the reality that although she could talk about forgiveness, she had to forgive. Forgive herself. She herself had to forgive, not in the abstract, not in some blurry kind of way, But this was a man who had hurt her, deeply hurt her. And now he stood in front of her, thrust out his hand to shake hers, and said, a fine message, Fraulein, how good it is to know, as you say, all our sins are at the bottom of the sea. Her hands were like dead. (laughs) She couldn't raise them. She couldn't lift them to take his greeting. She couldn't. She stood there. Someone whose sins had been forgiven and forgiven and forgiven and forgiven again, but unable to forgive. Betsy had died in this place. Could could this man erase this terrible thing? Simply by the speaking? Could he erase it? It was the most difficult moment in her life. She silently prayed, Jesus, help me. Jesus, help me. I can't lift my hand. I can't do that much. You supply the feeling. Sorry, sorry. I can lift my hand. I can do that much. You supply supply the feeling. And the temptation... Isn't that that true for you and me? The temptation to vindicate ourselves, the temptation to retaliate, the temptation to get back, it's so powerful, especially when we're faced with our offenders. But as Joseph watched his brothers bowing before him, what made him, what made the difference for him? Here's what it is. Genesis 42, verse 9. He remembered the dreams He remembered the dreams. That's what happened. His brothers, his mother, 
his father. He remembered those standing sheaves and all of them bowing down to him in that dream. He remembered the sun, moon, and stars all bowing down to him. And all of a sudden, as he remembered that story, the whole thing falls into place for Joseph. The story. The story of why God had allowed him to be sold into Egypt. The story of why he had been, allowed him to be falsely accused and put in prison. The story that, that just put this all, it all came into view now. After three days, Joseph takes his brothers out of jail. He still has to test their story a bit. Um, to test their story, he says, to, not for, because he doesn't know about it, but he know, wonder, wonders about his brother. So he says, I'm going to keep one of you prisoner. You'll all go back home. And then unless you return with your youngest brother, Benjamin, you'll all die, he says. And when he said that, they began to speak with each other. You can read it in the scripture. They began to speak with each other, and they didn't realize that Joseph could understand them. He was talking to them through an interpreter. In verse 40, uh, chapter 42, verse 1, 21, it says, They said to one another, Surely we are being punished because of our brother. We saw how distressed he was when he pleaded with us for his life, but we would not listen. That's why this, this distress has come on us. Imagine that moment. For 20 years, these brothers have been trying to hide their sin. These brothers have been pushing down this thought. They've buried this horrible crime inside, and suddenly they feel themselves under conviction, a conviction that they'd never felt before like this, conviction over what they had done, and their conscience is awakening. I read a letter that was actually mailed to the IRS. It said, Dear Sir, I've been able to, I've, I haven't been able to sleep because last year when I filled out my income tax report, I deliberately misrepresented my income. I'm enclosing, enclosing a check for $150. That's good, huh? It's good. Now you see the last one. You weren't supposed to go to that one yet, Bruce, but I mean, uh, Don, but there it is. Then he put P.S., the closing line. If I still can't sleep, I'll send you the rest. <laughs> A letter, huh? For Joseph's ten brothers, guilt is surfacing. <laughs> Joseph's strategy is working. He's, he's succeeding. Joseph is not mad at his brothers, is he? He's not mad at them. He's not jerking them around, threatening them, accusing them of vindictiveness. He's, he's reaching into the depths of their hearts. He's touching their motives. He's probing their characters. He's probing their conscience. That's what he's doing. And the whole thing, really, the whole thing is a story of God's goodness awakening his, his ten brothers, awakening them from the sleep of unresolved guilt. That's what's going on. And if you think Joseph delights in his brother's pain, think again. Think again. 
Because when he hears this confession of guilt, when he hears their, their remorse, when he hears this wrangling and, that goes on between them, when he hears that they've been unable to sleep and they feel this grief and whatnot, it says that he became so full of emotion that he had to turn away. Genesis chapter 42, verse 24. He turned away from them and began to weep. Joseph's brothers, he didn't show them, but they only saw that outward, rough, unkind, accusing foreigner. That's all they saw, this rough guy, this rough ruler. They didn't know that behind that roughness there was a heart of love, a heart of care, a heart of restoration, a heart heart of healing, all beneath the hardness. They couldn't see the bigger picture of grace. Sometimes that's the way it is with us and God, isn't it? We can't see the bigger picture of grace. I love the way the psalm writer, the hymn writer, William Cowper, catches this reality in a great old hymn. Hymn number 107 in your hymnal, but they're all taken out because of COVID, so we'll put it on the screen. Here it is. God moves in a mysterious way, his wonders to perform. He plants his footsteps in the sea and rides upon the storm. Ye fearful saints, fresh courage take. The clouds ye so much dread are big with mercy and shall break in blessings on your head. Isn't that something? Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust him for his grace. Behind a frowning providence, he hides what? Say it. A smiling face. Isn't that the way it is sometimes in life? Isn't that the way it is for us? Sometimes things just feel like God is frowning on us. Have you ever felt that? Sometimes things in life just work that way. Things get tough. We suffer a bit. God appears to be harsh and, and hard and cold and indifferent and against us. But is he? No, he's not. Not at all. The heart of love beats behind all of that. The heart of love. Well, Joseph imprisons Simeon, tells the rest of them that they're going to die if they don't come back again with the youngest brother. And then he fills those nine bags with grain and provisions for the trip and puts a silver cup in one of the bags. Now, the brothers can't see it, but you know what that is? Grace. (laughs) That's hard grace, but it's grace, isn't it? It's grace. They're being tested. They're being tested. It's really amazing grace that's going on. It's an amazing grace that loves. It's an amazing grace that his brothers can't see. But it's amazing grace that places them on the path to forgiveness, on the path to restoration, on the path to reconciliation. And it begs them to accept it. And that's what God, way God works with us, His amazing grace in our lives. Now the rest of the story, you know the story. When they return for more grain... You can read it later this afternoon, but if you, if you read it, they, when they return for more grain, their youngest brother is with them, and 
Joseph releases Simon from jail and invites him to a dinner in his home and gives him a feast and singles out Benjamin for special treatment, giving him five times as, as much as the rest, singling him out for this specialness. Then he sends him away with satchels full of grain. Sorry, I guess I, I mixed up the story back there, so you'll have to beg my pardon. Here's where he puts the Joseph's cup in Benjamin's bag. They're being tested again, aren't they? Would they care for Benjamin? Would they treat Benjamin like a brother or would they treat him like they did Joseph? Would they protect him? Would they help him? Would they appeal for him or would they abandon him? Would they desert him? Would they mistreat him like they had Joseph 22 years before? What would they do? Judah's appeal on behalf of his brother, his brothers, is one of the most compassionate in Scripture. Look at just a part of it, verses 32 to 34. Your servant guaranteed the boy's safety to my father. I said, this is, this is Judah talking. I said, if I do not bring him back to you, I will bear the blame before you, my father, all my life. Now then, please let your servant remain here as my Lord's slave in place of the boy and let the boy return with his brothers. How can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? No, no, do not let me see the misery that would come to my father. Wow, that's a different Judah. That's a different Judah. God has worked. These men are different. These men are changed. These men are sorry for their past. Joseph can't control his emotions. He just loses it. And he shouts out, chapter 45, verse 4, I'm your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And his brothers are now really terrified. What in the world is this? And Joseph tries to reassure them. You can see it there in verse number 5 and 7. Do not be distressed, he says, and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. Look at those words. Packed in those words is so much. God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. Joseph's brothers expected ungrace. But Joseph gives them what he's been given. Grace. Grace and purpose. God cared for Joseph. Joseph cared for them. And so did God. Like the the song, it says, amazing grace, isn't it? It is amazing. How sweet the sound. It saved a wretch like me. You may be, you may be a spiritual wretch, but that's not where grace leaves you. That's not where grace leaves you. It leaves you grateful. It leaves you worthy. What happened for Joseph happened for his brothers, and it's a picture of what God wants to do in the life of every one of us. That's what he wants to do for us. God allows trials to come our way. But by the time they reach us, by the time those trials reach us, they've become his will for us. And he uses them to grow us in his image. I love the way Ellen White says it in the book, Education. 
in the annals of human history, the growth of nation, the rise and fall of empires, appears as dependent on the will and prowess of man. The shaping of events seem to a great degree to be determined by his power, ambition, or caprice. But, but, in the word of God, the curtain has drawn us back, sorry, and we behold behind, above, and through all the play and counterplay of human interest and power and passions, the agency of the all-merciful one silently, patiently working out the courses of his own will. Do you believe that, church? That's the good news, isn't it? The Joseph story is our story. That's our story. That God is working his purposes for good. In spite of rough, in spite of tough, in spite of, and, and, and even against human effort, God is working. That's why Joseph could say, you intended harm for me, but God intended it for good. Can you say that? You intended harm for me, but God intended it for good. Yes, Joseph's brothers indeed did evil, but God made good from that evil. Potiphar used Joseph for personal comfort, but God grew Joseph there. Pharaoh thought Joseph was a wise manager and would help his cause, but Joseph grew there, and God used him to bring relief from famine and restoration to relationships and a story of deliverance that would encourage people from then until today. Joseph's story. It's our story. Whenever God leads, wherever God leads, is a good path. Wherever he leads is a good path. We will never follow his leading and find that there was a mistake that he's made. Isaiah 46, 9 and 10, I am God, there's no other. I am God, there's no one like me. I make known the end from the beginning, from ancient times, what is still to come. That God, that God, whatever he asks you to do, whatever he guides you to do, he will also give us the strength to do it. He will. Like Paul said, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Philippians 4.13, God will enable us to accomplish whatever he asks us to do. You know, what we know, what we believe about God, what we know, what we believe about his involvement in our lives makes all the difference in the world. Where are you, friend? Where are you today? Difficulties. Challenges, hardships are opportunities. They're building blocks. Corey Tinboom said, Never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. The theme of the Bible is Jesus. And how he died to save men. The plan of salvation assured. 